to Say It Southern, aspiring to live not just as moms, but as modern Southern women, we began this project to hear from those who inspire us and recognize those who are achieving their own personal goals. Listen in as we celebrate the South and those who say it Southern. If you haven't checked out our partner, Renaissance Bank, then go ahead and do so on social media or on their website at renaissancebank.com. Renaissance is a true Southern bank that started in Tupelo, Mississippi 115 years ago. And with over 190 locations scattered throughout the Southeast, there's a good chance there's a Renaissance location near you. We are so honored and grateful to have Dr. Kim Swells on the podcast this week to help us navigate all the changes happening with our own children. Parents with children of all ages will benefit from this episode. Dr. Swells earned her PhD in marriage and family communication with a concentration in counseling. She's worked as a researcher and college professor at the University of Houston, but is now in private practice. She has published research, won a national award for her research, and gives presentations all over the country. She has been married for 24 years and has three children. Join us now as we say it Southern with Dr. Kim Swells. We're so excited to have Dr. Kim Swells with us from Houston, Texas. Sarah, she got recommended to us when we were, you and I were in the woes of raising these children. Yes. And we had talked about it on the podcast, and somebody commented, which we love, keep commenting on our post and said, You got to have Dr. Kim Swells mm-hmm. to bring you all the answers for all the things. Because we need them, because we both have our oldest children, mm-hmm. our oldest child mm-hmm. is. Both of them are 11 now. Mm-hmm. Taylor May, my oldest, just turned 11. I have girls. Courtney has boys. And so we're entering into that middle school, pre-tween, pre-teen, pre-tween yeah. whatever yeah. you want to mm-hmm. call it. It's getting it's getting rough. Yeah. So we need some advice. 911, Kim. <laughs> well, it's a tough time. And you know what? I think there's so much out there on teens, right? There's lots of books on raising teens and you know, experts talking and specializing in teens, but there's not as much on tweens. And I think you're right. It's just kind of these changes come out of nowhere and you're not really prepared for them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to tell you what's happening? What's going on? Why it's all of a sudden a change for you? Um, yes, <laughs> yes, please. please. All the okay. So here's what happens. And, and I think people don't think about it when your kids are little, right? When they're you know, four and five and six and seven, the family is everything to them. Mama, dad is everything. They're just looking for your unconditional support, for your approval. And then what starts to happen as they get into that like 10, 11 year old, and and you guys even mentioned uh, in our kind of emails, does this happen earlier? And it is happening earlier and earlier. But what happens is that the friends become more important than the family and the peers become more important than the family. And what is really important as parents to know is that's normal. And you know what? It's even healthy. When you think about, and you guys are so far off from that, but I've got a 23-year-old and a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old. And what's happening starting in the preteen years is they have to push back to be able to leave, to be able to go to college, to be able to launch. And so we take it personally, right? We think like, oh, they don't want to be around us anymore. But if they don't learn to kind of push back and to be on their own, they're not ready when it's time at 17 or 18 or 19 to move out, to go to college or to be on their own. And what's hard is we can't remember what that feels like. You know, I was talking to my 20 year old about it last night telling him I was doing this and he can really easily remember those middle school years. I can't remember that um, as much. And so what other people think skyrockets in importance to your kids. Um, And so what happens is their confidence goes down. Because think about they're so used to the unconditional love that they get every day from you telling them, um, how wonderful they are and how smart they are and how creative they are. And then, you know, their 11 year old peers are not doing that. And their confidence really goes down. Emotions and hormones start to flare. That again is happening younger than we've ever seen that before. Um, 
and you know, there's lots of theories about that, whether it's hormones in meat and milk and diet and environment, it's exposure, it's culture, it's a lot of things. I don't know, you know, if there's one answer for why it's happening, but we know it's happening and we're seeing that kids are going through puberty younger. So you just have all this stuff going on and it's kind of an explosion in them. Their little world has shifted, you know? Yes. We're seeing all that. Yeah. And I feel like it really happened overnight, like you're saying. I mean, yeah, uh it did. I mean, it went from like movies downstairs to, I'm just going to be in my room. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is too, our instinct then is to kind of, you know, try to pull them in. And that's really a little bit of a mistake. You just kind of I don't know. I use this analogy with my clients a lot because I about half my practice is parenting coaching. And so I have a lot of parents who come to me for guidance with this. And I say, you know, like, remember when they were toddlers or just starting to walk and you go to the park with them and you're kind of, the, you know, listeners can't see, but I have my arms up. Like you're kind of guiding to make sure they don't fall going up the little ladder of the slide or, and then gradually you step back and you step back. And I remember as a parent, I just couldn't wait for the day where I could sit with my Starbucks on the park bench and just watch. Right. Yes. And that's kind of my analogy for parenting. We have to take a step back every couple months or every couple years. And I think even now, I still have to remind myself to step back. Like even with my 23 year old y'all, I have to remind myself to not always give him advice to say, well, what do you think is best? And so I think really the first time we have to take that step back is in those middle school years and we've never done it before. So we don't really know how to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm scared. I'm scared to let her go. Because mm-hmm. there's so much that she's going to see yeah. and like the world's ready. And it's just like, I don't want her to go and do all those things. And I mean, I do, of course, but it makes me scared for her. Is she ready? Um, I've already seen like her get very upset, which obviously upsets me about friends saying something to her about mm-hmm. um, she's not reading as well as somebody else in the classroom. Or, I mean, just little things are a huge explosion for her right now. So is your biggest fear like her being rejected or hurt or left out? Like what is your biggest fear? Just like her being crushed, her spirit okay. being crushed because yeah. she's so open to me with me right now and she tells me everything. She's just happy. She mm-hmm. loves to meet new people and I'm just scared that she's going to hate me. <laughs> she's going to like lock herself in her room and never come out. Start wearing oh. black eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, it's interesting. I do think that this is a, I love, love, love the teen years. Like they are my favorite years the, I, I, I don't love the middle school years. Mm-hmm. I think they are a challenge because it's just messy. It's such a mess. And, and there is a lot of fear. And I think that as parents, if we can recognize that fear, like, I think that's awesome, Sarah, that you're saying like, I'm afraid of this and kind of recognize that and try not to parent from that place of fear. Because I will tell you what I see, the helicopter parents and the snowplow parents and the tiger parents, they're all parenting out of fear. And that will hurt your relationship with your child. Mm-hmm. You tell just, us about those parents. Oh, okay. Um, so the helicopter parents and the lawnmower parents, they're kind of all coming from the same place. They are so afraid that their child doesn't have what it takes to do it on their own. And so they do it for them or they micromanage them or they remove all the, the lawnmower parent is the parent that removes all the obstacles for their kids. So their kids never have to face a challenge. And then what happens is you've got these kids and, and I see it all the time who get to college and they can't wake themselves up and they can't get themselves to classes because somebody else has woken them up every day and somebody else has done their laundry every day. And some Somebody else has fought all their friend battles for them every day. And somebody else has emailed their teacher over every little thing. Um, And so, you know what I tell parents is that the middle school years, think about the middle school years as like the training wheels and taking off the training wheels. And so let's start like in Houston, 
if you go to public school, middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, is it like that where y'all are? Yes. yes mm-hmm. Okay. And so I look at that, like, I, I'll, I'll be honest, as a parent, those aren't my favorite years, but, um, I know, <laughs> but it's, think about, and the, you guys are at the perfect time for this information. Think about those years as the years to kind of train them for what's to come. And so I'll give you one example. I feel like in high school, there's two things. I'll I'll use two examples. In high school, really the student should be totally responsible for communicating with teachers. Unless there's a situation that's so big that the teacher reaches out to you or you have to get involved in. And so in sixth grade with my kids or my daughter's uh, in eighth grade now. So we're just at the end of middle school. So that one's freshest on my mind. In sixth grade, if she turned something in and a teacher didn't record the grade or she had an orthodontist appointment and was going to miss her math class, I would say, you know, do you want me to email your teacher or do you want to email your teacher? And if she was nervous, she didn't know the teacher, she was brand new to middle school, I would do it. But I would say, here, come look at what I wrote, come look at how I did it. Um, if she felt comfortable doing it, I would proofread it because, right, a sixth grader, a lot of them are going to email like they text their friends, you know. Um, I wanted to make sure it had proper punctuation. So it was, I kind of looked at like, these are the training years. Let me teach her how to advocate for herself. Let me teach her how to email her teacher. Um, Similarly with waking up, you know. I might have woken her up in sixth grade. By seventh grade, we get an alarm clock. And if it didn't go off or she wasn't out of bed, I might remind her. By eighth grade, she should be on her own about it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like these are the years where you sort of um, start to teach them that independence. And here's what it does. You know, I really empathize with what you were saying, Sarah, about I'm afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid that's going to happen. If we communicate that to our kids, if they see that, they feel like we don't believe in them. They feel like we don't have confidence. If we do everything for them and try to fix all their problems, we're saying, I don't think you're capable. And what we do know from the research is that for girls in particular, but this is true for boys too, confidence is at a life time low in middle school. Uh, That is when boys and girls are the least confident in their whole life. So we have to be confident in them. Sorry, I'm writing this all down. This is so I know. I feel like I'm I'm like, ask me your questions. I'm talking too much. No, please (laughs) talk. And I do think that's kind of my fear because she is so confident right now that I'm, and I was made fun of so bad in, in middle school. So maybe I have some of that that I'm holding on to. Like, I know what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh gosh, here it comes. Mm -hmm. Kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. We do. We do. And I see that a lot. I see. And that's kind of why some parents will work with me is they kind of work through their stuff with me. So they don't work through it with their kid. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so, um, that confidence thing for girls, what the research shows is this, does she play sports? She does. Yes. Okay. Keep her in team sports as best as as long as, of course, if she hates it and wants to quit, you know, that's one thing. But we do know that the one thing that boosts confidence in girls in particular in those middle school and early high school years is team sports. And if they're not a sporty kid, then art or, um, you know, my daughter's a dancer and she dances seven days a week because she loves it. And it gives her so much confidence. If they have something they feel good about, um, that will kind of get them through those tough years mm-hmm. in confidence. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, and I know we'll probably get to this later, but I'm just going to plug it in here as we're talking about confidence for girls, keep her off social media as long as you possibly can, because the research shows that as soon as girls get on social media, their anxiety and depression increased by over 50% suicide attempts. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And they can link it exactly to, um, social media use clinical depression increases by 50% when girls get on social media. So I, I, my daughter was like, you're so, 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 so happy. And so she would ask, you know, all my friends are on Snapchat, all my friends are on Instagram. And I did not let her, um, get on Instagram till 14. And I would say to her, Kate, you are so happy. And I know the research and this is the research. So why would I want to give you something 
that research shows us makes you unhappy and less confident and more depressed. And then even when she got her Instagram, see, this is where the training wheels are in middle school. She's in eighth grade. I look at it all the time. I have her passwords. I, she has to tell me it's a private account who she adds. So we know it's people that love her, support her, aren't going to be bullying her kind of thing. And then as they get to high school, again, you got to take that step back, but I, I teach them. So I kind of, there's a movement on wait till eighth. And I really, really believe that. It's hard though, because they're going to bug you every day about it. Oh yeah. She's already bugging me about a phone. She wants a phone so yeah. bad. Uh, so Courtney, what questions do you have about boys? Well, how much time do you have, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have questions about the phone. I have questions about, um, teaching boys specifically independence. Um, mm. because I grew up with, in a mixed household, boys and girls. And so I feel like I'm cut out to be a pretty good boy mom. I mean, I can get down and dirty when they fight. It doesn't bother me. You know, that kind of thing. Cause I have two boys. Um, sports and friends and even bo- I've noticed body image with with mine is already a thing about wants to be working out, lifting weights. You know, he's mm. 11. Um, the phone is a big thing. You know, so kind of all of the above. But I'm just starting to feel like, and I've told Sarah this, and this may be why we were connected with you in the first place. I just feel that pull. I feel mm-hmm. I feel him slipping through my fingers a little bit and going from like, baby gram or kid gram to independent teen responsible gram. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure I'm handling that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have two boys too, and those were my first two kids. And, um, I talked to both of them yesterday, coincidentally, they're both one's in grad school, one's in college in Austin, Texas. So they both called me from school yesterday from their apartments. And I told them about this and, you know, I specifically was talking to my 20 year old and he said, you know, mom, I I mean, and I know this from the research, but it means so much when they say it right. Um, he said, you've got to tell them to just trust that they're going to come back to you. And I think that's really key. They do though. They do. My boys call me. Well, one of them calls me, the 23 year old calls me almost every day. Um, the 20 year old calls every couple of days and we are so close. They tell me everything, but what you have to do to get that is a couple things. You have to back off first. My, one of my biggest pieces of advice, and it's probably the hardest for parents to believe. They really don't believe me till they do it. And then they all come back and say, yes, that worked. And my son said this yesterday is don't ask questions. Oh, how Kim? How? You just don't. So it, and he, Harry reminded me, he goes, mom, remember? So when they get in the car and you pick them up, do they play sports, Courtney? They do. Okay. You pick them up from practice and you want to say, how was practice? You know, what position are you playing? Did you get this? You know, when's the game? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So the research shows, and my kids told me it is literally like putting a loaded gun to their head. Mm -hmm. They just, so little kids love when you ask them questions. Yes. Preteens and teens Mm -hmm. hate it. You know how you said a few minutes ago, I just don't want them to hate me. I just don't want her to hate my mom. If you pepper them with questions, if you're super inquisitive, they are going to tell you nothing. They are going to hate you. It is so hard. But the next time you pick them up, let them get in the car and say, hey, just be there and just try it and trust it because they will tell you. And what, what I tell parents to do is kind of observe your kids Everybody has a different sort of time and space when they just unload, right? And you probably see that in your kids. For some, it's right before bed. Mm -hmm. My oldest son, it was when he would come home from high school. He would come in and the first thing he said every day, which I still can't believe, he would say, how was your mom? How was your day, mom? And when he went to college, I missed it. No one asked how my day was. (laughs) But then he would just tell me all about his day. And then as he got older, he would come in at 10 o'clock at night, sit at the end of my bed and tell me about his day. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'd be watching The Bachelor. I'd be watching <laughs> something. And I wouldn't want to pause it and say, you know, I'd be like, I'm watching something. But I, whatever I was doing at 10 o'clock at night, I stopped and I just listened. listened. And 
I'm telling you when you ask questions and here's what the teens tell me and the preteens that there's no right answer. And that's why they hate questions because first of all, they're confused. Their emotions are kind of crazy, but here's an example. A kid has a big science test and, and they get in the car and you say, how'd the test go? There's no right answer for you. If they say, oh, I think it went well. Well, what do you mean you think it went well? You know, um, if they say, oh gosh, I didn't know half the stuff. What do you mean you didn't know half the stuff? Did you study enough? And so that's kind of how they feel as a preteen and as a teen. And they're trying so hard to fly under the radar at school all day. Um, Middle schoolers just want to blend in. They do not want attention. I can't stress that enough. From probably sixth grade to about 10th or 11th grade, kids just, they don't want a lot of attention. And so the questions is, it's just overwhelming for them. They will come to you. So I tell parents, how do you connect? Okay. Um, find a show that you can watch with them. Um, read their books. Uh, I know that sounds like really, I got to read the books they're interested in, whatever they're interested, meet them on their level. Um, you know, my older son, he's thankfully, he likes sort of the old school shows like Seinfeld and friends. And so we would kind of connect over that. My daughter, um, she saw me watching Gilmore girls and I thought she was a little too young for it, but I told her either when she turned 13 or 14, we would watch it together. Cause there's, you know, some questionable choices that the characters make in that. But we watch it together and we talk about those choices and we talk about things. Um, so I would say like a show, a book, their sport, connect where they are mm -hmm. and you don't need to ask the million questions. And then the other thing is I would just go in their room and hang out and not ask them questions, but just be there. You know, the more you're just there and available, they will come to you with things. I feel like one of the questions, I mean, one of the things that I hear Graham say a lot when he tries to explain something to me or if something happened at school or, you know, on the team or whatever, he'll say, mom, you just don't understand it. You don't mm -hmm. understand. And mm -hmm. my first defense is, oh, well, that's kind of hurtful, you know, <laughs> and I would never say, Graham, that's hurtful. But I am like, of course I understand. Like, that's what I'm trying to do is understand. I want you to tell me how you're feeling. I want you to tell me what you mean mm -hmm. when you say that. How does that make you feel? And I am an over-communicator. So mm -hmm. this muzzle mentality is really tough for me. So the mom you don't understand, is that more, I feel like that is probably better communicated when I do just hang out. And yeah. I don't know. How, yeah. do I, how do I combat that? Okay. So there's a couple ways. The first thing is I'll teach you the little, a really quick shortcut for empathy. Well, I'm going to tell you two things. One is, um, Kelly Corrigan, who wrote, who she's a fabulous author. I don't know if you know her, but she just wrote a book and she really didn't intend it for me to be a parenting book, but it's called tell me more. And that's just, I, I use that a lot when I'm trying to understand what my child is saying, but maybe I don't totally identify. I'll just say, tell me more, you know, tell me more about that. Um, and that's great. That's not a question, right? It's kind of an invitation for them to tell you more. So that's one thing, the way to show empathy. Um, I use this quick formula is try to get at what they feel and what they wish. And so you might not understand, but you can say, so you feel frustrated and you wish that your coach gave you more time to play. Okay. So try to guess when they're telling you something, what they're feeling and what they wish. And that's the best way to communicate empathy. And then my third tip for that, I mean, I could give you 10, but my third tip for that is don't rush in with advice. Mm. And that's what we do because, right, we're so used to when our kids are little telling them everything to do. And we've got to move from this control to sort of this guidance, to sort of this just encourager or supporter as a parent. And so I do this with my friends, with my clients, and with my kids. When they are telling me something, 
And I want to jump in with advice, right? Because it's kind of my job. (laughs) I'm a counselor. My job is kind of to advise people. But I'll say to them, do you want me to just listen right now or do you want me to give you advice? I flat out say, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll tell you. One of the things that Sarah and I talk about a lot is we're experiencing a lot, a high level of drama Mm -hmm. in our homes. How Mm -hmm. do we... Yeah, I have a very specific question about this because um, my daughter, she will like have these emotional outbursts and like, it's like she walks, everything's fine. She's happy. And then she turns to me and I've done something wrong. And it is like screaming hits the floor, you know, like I don't, you don't understand anything. Like you did it all wrong. And now my day is ruined. And like, I mean, it is like full on. And I sit there and I'm like, okay, I know what this is. Just let her have her moment. Don't show anger that I'm, you know, because I don't want to feed into all that and, right. you know, make it worse. If I start arguing with her or yelling back, I mean, I know it's an explosion. But at the same time, I want her to know, like, you can't speak that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me not to just stand up, grab her, shake her, and, like, throw her out the door, you know? Or go, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why are you even reacting? <laughs> yeah. This is so stupid. And then, I mean, a few, you know, 30 minutes later, she's fine. And she's hugging and loving on me. But, I mean, it, and it happens a lot in the mornings, like when we're trying to get out in the car, and it's just like she's screaming at me and her sisters and everybody. And I want to scream back and be like, you don't speak to us like that, you know? And like, but, so anyway, help us with these explosions and how to best handle this. I'm so glad you asked that question because I didn't know if you would. And that this is another, kind of like my don't ask questions. This is my other Biggest, biggest piece of advice for preteens and teens. Okay, yeah, okay. Don't Run. hold back, Kim. Do not Do hold think, back. But I'm going to tell you, parents hate hearing this because like I like like you said, Courtney, like, I don't know how to do that. I'm an over-communicator. I don't know yeah. how to at, not ask questions. This one's really hard too. And you just have to trust me because these pieces of advice are completely counterintuitive to everything you've been doing as a parent so far, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The, but trust me, please, it works. I've got, I mean, if you could see my grown kids and all the people in my practice who've done it and it works. Okay. So what you've got to do, and it's the hardest thing to do is just ignore it. You've got to ignore those explosions because they do not have emotional control yet at all. The hormones, the emotions, you know, one of the things that I didn't touch on yet is that these kids are grieving their childhood a little bit. Not everyone, but a lot of the middle schoolers I talked to, and and my oldest son really did this. I remember vividly him coming to me in like sixth grade and him saying, you know, mom, I still want to go to the children's museum and the zoo, and I still want to watch little kid cartoons and play with my Legos, but I kind of know I'm not supposed to want to do those things. And none of my friends, they're all playing call of duty and he wasn't allowed to play that. And he felt this push and pull between being a little kid and being a grown up. And then my other son said to me last night, he said, you know, when you're 11, 12 or 13 and you wake up in a really bad mood or you come home from school and you're in a really bad mood and those emotions and those hormones are high, You don't have the emotional maturity or control to say, I've got to rein this in because it's disrespectful. And he's 20 now. And he said, I can wake up in a really bad mood, but I've got, he's an entrepreneur. I've got a sales call and I've got to pretend I'm in a good mood. And I can do that at 20, but you can't do that at 12. Mm. And we expect that they can. We think you're not two anymore. You should be able to do this, but they can't. Their brains and their bodies are going through so many changes that they don't have the emotional control. So when kids talk back, I hear you when you say, like, you want to say, like, you can't talk to me. That's disrespectful. And I was a pretty strict parent, and I don't think kids can or should talk to their parents that way. But here's what I learned. Every time I said that to my kid, it escalated and escalated. They got mad at me. It destroyed our relationship or not destroyed, but it hurt our relationship. And then we had to recover from that. And I would get mad at them and I would pull back and they would be mad at me because they would get in trouble for talking to me a certain way or having a meltdown. And so I just tried for a few weeks to completely ignore those, to not respond when they were being snarky and disrespectful to me, to not take it personally, because it is not personal. It has nothing, nothing to do with you. I can't express that enough. If you can say this is not about me, this is about just the tough teen years, 
um, and not respond to it, you're going to be so much better off. And then the second piece to that is I tell people, you know how at the Oscars, uh, the Academy Awards, when they're going to announce the winners and they pan on everybody um, and you've got to like have this face like you can't react when you lose, right? Under, under, under react as a teen mom. You have to even no matter what your child says to you, they do not want a big reaction, and it's for good news or bad news. My middle son, one time I went in his room, as I suggest to you to just kind of go in and hang out. And um, there was this crumbled up piece of paper on the floor and I picked it up being the nosy mom that I am. And it was a practice ACT test that he had taken in high school. And it was like, I don't know, maybe not a perfect score, but maybe a perfect score, almost a perfect score. It was an amazing score. And I didn't even know, A, that he took a practice ACT and he never told me how he did on it. And so I was like, Harry, oh my gosh, when did you get this back? And I'm like jumping for joy, right? And he goes, um, I don't know, you know, last week. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Oh my gosh, look how great this is. And he said, that, that is why I didn't tell you. And I'm like, why? Because I'd be happy. And he said, yes, look at you. You're, you're so happy. You're so excited. And now I have all this pressure for the real ACT that I've got to do that well, because look how happy you are. And I was like, what? Oh, <laughs> he, okay. He did not. Yeah. Right. Isn't that so, but we talked about it and I really thought about it and I went to the research and they don't want these giant reactions from us because it's pressure. it's pressure. Whether it's a good reaction or a bad reaction, it's more pressure. And remember I said they just want to blend in. They just want to fly under the radar. So I really calibrate my reactions. And I remember when my kids would tell me like a friend had sex or got drunk or things that were very shocking to me, particularly with my oldest, like the first time you hear this stuff about your kids' friends. And I had to be like, oh, really? Tell me more. You know, <laughs> like, more. Tell me more. As I pour myself a drink, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> but guess what? If you react that way, they will tell you everything. Yeah. If you overreact and you get all panicked, they're going to lie and they're going to not tell you stuff. It's, it, um, it's really true. Yeah, I've heard that from friends yeah. that are elder. Okay, so let me ask you this. So back to the disrespectful and talking and what you can say and what you can't say. So is there a threshold for rules and what they can get away with and what they can't? Just some hard and fast, like lines drawn in the sand, you yeah. can't cross this. And that's what they need to know, and so they don't get in trouble for every time they open their smart mouth. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that's true. And my kids knew when okay. they would cross the line. You know, I think like, um, and I think that's different for every family. Like in my family, that my kids never called me a name or um, I've got three and one, one time said, I hate you. I think he was in sixth grade and he was depressed. He was on a medication for migraines that actually made him depressed for a small period of time. And he immediately came and apologized. So like in my house, they knew you're not going to say, I hate you. That's not okay. You can say, I don't like you much right now, or you're driving me crazy yeah. or name calling or, so I think it's different in every house, kind of what your values are and what your rules are. But I do think it's a good thing to have a conversation. I wouldn't have that conversation when they're having a meltdown though. Mm -hmm. I'd have that conversation when things are going really well and say, you know, I know the teen years are hard and I know you're going to have times that you're really emotional and you talk back and I know that that's not personal and that's part of being a team, but there are certain things that just are completely unacceptable. And I think that's different for every family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think absolutely let that be known. And then, you know, there should be kind of a natural consequence of that too, you know, and it depends on the situation of what that would be. But I think if you constantly get into this um, pattern of punishing teenagers for those emotional outbursts, you will always be in a bad space. And here's what I'll say. The most important thing in the preteen and the teen years, more important than the rules is the relationship. And, and the analogy I use is think about like that favorite teacher you had 
in high school that you just really, if you can think of one you really liked, they were really cool. Not, well, not cool. I don't want to use that word, but you just really liked that teacher. You want it to do your very best in that class. Mm -hmm. You want it to do everything to impress them. It's the same with your kids. If your kids, if you really develop a relationship, and I don't mean be the friend mom or the cool mom, but if you really get interested in what they're interested in and really build a relationship with them, they follow the rules. Yeah. They really do. My hands oh, are I know. I'm like, wow. Okay. My hands hurting from writing so much. <laughs> um, all right. So, Kim, this is something I feel like we're just really on the brink of. Moms will say, if you hear something about my child, you tell me. I want to I wanna know. And then maybe you do, and you and they don't believe it, or you hear say, or your child tells you something. How do you? How just can we just dive into <laughs> the other mom? The other mom. <laughs> I think that's tricky. Um, so I kind of have a rule of thumb for when we should tell people things, um, and my rule of thumb is it. It's three questions you ask yourself. Is it going to help me to tell the other person? Is it going to help the other person? And is it going to help the relationship? And so I'd really look at those because every situation is different. But I have a caveat to that with kids because I use that kind of like, you know, I get the, oh, I saw my neighbor's husband out with another woman in a restaurant. Do I tell her? And I'm like, ask yourself those three questions. Or I don't know whether to tell my mother-in-law this. But with children, I think it, it's a safety issue, right? Sure. And so my kids told me a lot of things about various friends um, growing up. And if it were really a safety issue, then I might tell the other parent. Um, if it were just sort of a gossipy sort of thing and nobody was in danger's way, I really didn't. Because think about when you guys were teenagers, like teenagers, first of all, their job is to rebel and we hope they'll rebel safely. Yeah. Okay. And I really hope they rebel in high school before they go off into the world. I'm like, let's yes. do all this bad stuff now. Under where I can, yes. Yes. Where I'm here. Yeah. Um, and so if you kind of go every little time you hear something ever, anybody is saying, and I just don't think that, I think that we know too much about our kids, you know, it's in, and we'll cover this another time maybe, but the reading the texts and, you know, reading their diaries and stuff like that. Kids need a little bit of privacy. And so I think generally you've got that intuition, right? You know, when another mother needs to know something, yes. um, uh, when it's dangerous, um, but I don't think there's one rule of thumb, like always tell them or, or never tell them. I think it's kind of a case by case thing where somebody could be getting hurt. Um, I, if you just see someone making questionable choices, I don't know that I'd go to the other mom about that. I mean, you just kind of hope, and your job is to really kind of keep a pulse on your own kids, not make sure somebody else is keeping a pulse on them, mm -hmm. you know? So, like, that makes me think of vaping because I hear all yeah. about that's so big in middle school. And, I mean, it's like that is hurting. I would want mm -hmm. to know if someone catches my child vaping. Mm -hmm. But also, I don't I don't really want to tell on another child in, for that situation. Like, the mothers don't want to hear it, I guess is what I'm saying. They don't want to so, hear that their child is vaping. No, they don't. And they won't believe it. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. So, so would that be – I mean, I think it's a safety issue, but – yeah, I think it's a safety issue, too, if you're really close to the person. But here's what I would do, because I heard that one a lot. It's so rampant, y'all, the vaping. Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know how they get it. And it's so, so bad for them health-wise, especially in these COVID times. But so one of the things I did do with one of my friends, uh, someone, you know, in, in a group that I'm in, a prayer group that I'm in, I, I would say to her, you know, if I knew this, would you want me to tell you? Just kind of like that when you're asking your child, do you want me to listen or give you advice? Um, if I knew something were going on with your child, what would you, would you want me to tell you? Because there are people who really frankly don't want to know. Yeah. And then you also have to know that you might risk the relationship. For the safety of that kid, you might risk the relationship and you have to ask yourself, you know, is that worth it? I don't think there's a universal answer because everybody's going to react to that information differently. 
-hmm. you know, like you, Sarah, I would want to know, and I would want to talk to my kid about it, but there are some parents that would rather not know. (laughs) I I know. What? (laughs) Can you believe it? But I see it all the time. I mean, my job is I talk to, you know, eight parents a day and in sessions. And I know there are some that just don't want to know. And there are some who would think, oh, kids will be kids. They're going to try everything, Mm -hmm. you know? I I kind of look, when I think about high school and I hear moms talking about they're tracking their children on their phones and how fast they're driving and when they break and all that, part of me with that is like, I don't know that I want to know all that. I I can't, I mean, I wouldn't sleep at night. No, I'd be following them along on their, you know, night out until they got home at their curfew. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want to know. (laughs) I don't track my kids. If my, if one went to college in Ohio, so when he was driving from Texas to Ohio, we had him turn it on because it's a two day drive and I wanted to make sure he was okay, but I do not track my kids. No, I I'm like that. I will say with the vaping thing, I just want to throw this in there because I hear it in my practice all the time. Parents find vape paraphernalia, vaping pens all the time in their kid's backpack and their, you know, wherever. And Every single kid says it's not theirs oh, yeah. and it is always theirs. I just want to tell that parent listening today that just found the vape pen. It is your kids. It is not their friends <laughs> and you are deluding yourself if you think it is and get the research and show them pictures and, and tell them what it's going to do to them. Be frank with them um, because every parent that calls me says, well, she says it's not hers. Right. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'll think back to my own my own high school years. <laughs> Here's what's crazy to me is that not only do, are we, you know, we go from like all in these PTA meetings and, you know, Bible moms of, you know, our school or whatever. And then the moms change too, along oh, with yeah. the kids and oh, yeah. how they want to receive this information and what they think your kid's doing and what mine's not capable of. And I'm like, they are lying to you. They're lying to you. Mine are lying to me. I know. I would say worry about your own kids and not really anybody else's. And I don't mean that in an uncompassionate way. I mean, I, my kids' friends always came over and talked to me. A lot of them felt because of my background, they could come and talk to me. Um, And so I'm not saying like, don't care about them, but there's a point where it's tricky to get involved, you know? Um, and then just don't compare. I remember one of my children was going to, um, a formal, you know, in high school and we showed up to take him, you know, they have all these pre parties where they take the pictures and everybody, you know, and we get to the door and a lot here, a lot of the parents are invited and the parents have a couple, you know, cocktails or appetizers while they're doing pictures and all. I don't know if it's like that there, but Um, they offered my 15 year old a drink at the door, the dad, the mom and the dad are like, what can I get you to drink? We've got beer. We've got, you know, scotch. We've got, and my husband and I were like, what? And you're right. You're in PTO or you're at church together. You're playing soccer together. And these are parents that you wouldn't think at 15 are going to be offering your kid a drink before a school dance. But sometimes that happens. And, you know, a lot of these parents want to be friends. They're afraid their kid's going to hate them. And so they take that route rather than the route that I'm kind of advising for y'all. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to scare you, but I did. I wish someone had told me that might happen. That's no, no, that's what we need to know. I mean, we're knocking on the door of all this stuff. It's good to know on the front end. It really is. I mean, Oh boys, I'll tell you one more thing for boys, Courtney. Okay. Dry things. Fast food and drive-thrus are your friends. So I'm kind of a health food person and we didn't do a lot of gluten, a lot of dairy, but in the high school years, if you want to get your boys to talk, food is the key. It is for some girls too, actually, but universally my boy moms say, you know, if I took them to eat or we spent a couple extra minutes in the drive-thru, then they would spill their guts to me and they would open up to me. So food is a great way to bond with teen boys and preteen boys. That's so funny. I love it. So kind of along that same line, give us the best advice that you would give to a parent of a boy and also of a girl. Oh boy. Um, I think I've already given it to you, but I'll just summarize it for the, for the girl mom do not 
get drawn into the drama. Do not react to it. Be a steady rock. They are on like shaky ground, hormonally, emotionally, and you just need to be the solid ground. Kids will mirror your communication. And if you, the more, you know, angry, upset, emotional they get, if you stay calm and removed and underreact, you'll be kind of that evening force for them. So that's what I would say for girls. And then, you know, find the ways to connect with them, whether it's through a show or, you know, if you both like makeup or, um, you know, uh, a certain type of genre of books or whatever, find that one way to connect. You don't have to connect with them in every way, you know, find one really meaningful way to connect with them. Um, for boys, I think one of the things that's really hard for boys in the middle school and teen years is being vulnerable. And so I think moms need to be a soft place to land that, you know, you talked about your son, Courtney already like trying to lift weights and trying to be this man, teach him, be a safe place for him to express his feelings and emotions and never, you know, judge that. I never, ever told my kids to man up, you know, my boys, like dad can be the like, strong man model. I'm going to be the soft because I wanted my boys to be able to communicate with females down the road in their life, whether it's a partner, um, a wife, a daughter. And so let them be a soft place for them so that they can communicate feelings and emotions and vulnerability because they cannot do that with their guy friends in middle school or high school. And it even is hard to do with their dad in the teen years. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's my biggest advice. Um, for parenting boys through those years. That's a big one for me because I always say I'm raising husbands. I want to raise husbands yep. in this house. And yep. they got to be one that, you know, I've taken mine to raise and now he's a great communicator. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to raise boys that, you know, that are communicators and can express some of that. So gosh, yes. that's, that's a great place. This that's is all advice. such great information. And if our listeners want to follow along with you now, you have a new podcast I do. I have a podcast called Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Um, we release a new episode every Thursday. And um, it's really about all kinds of relationships. We've had episodes on dating. Um, I have my first two episodes are parenting in the teen years. Um, we've had postpartum um I have an episode coming up on anxiety in children, how to parent children with anxiety. Today's episode is about um, navigating the college admission process um, with a college admission counselor. And so we look at everything, how to parent after divorce, like all, anything that has to do re with relationships. Um, and so there's a little bit of something for everybody. Oh, that's good. So great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I know our listeners are going to love this. Yes. I did. I took four pages of notes. Yeah, right. We're <laughs> so, oh, thank you. I also have a professional Instagram page where I post parenting advice and relationship advice, and that's at Dr. Kim Swales, S-W-A-L-E-S. -E so if people want parenting tips or marriage or relationship tips, it's all there too. Great. Right. And you're going to come back on and talk to us about the screens and the teens. I would love to. I'm so passionate about smartphones, social media, and video games, and would love, love, love to talk do, to you about yeah, how to do it. Part that. two. We're yeah. doing this. Yeah. Okay. TBD. Okay. Yes. Thank you guys Thank so you. much. Thanks, Dr. It's King. Nice honor. to meet you. You too. All right. So if I met Sarah Stone in middle school, what, what was Sarah Stone like in middle school? In middle school... I, I mean, was, you remember middle school? I do remember. Yes, yes. Okay. I did not enjoy middle school. No, it was awful. Um, in middle school, I was tiny. Yep. I was scrawny. Mm -hmm. I was picked on. I had braces. Mm -hmm. I had horrible hair. I, now, is this conceived by you? You're saying this about no, yourself? No, I mean, I'll show you some pictures. Okay. But yeah, but I felt that way. I was picked on. Um, I was really into theater. I was probably a little immature looking back. Not okay. a little. Very immature. Were you um, the young? Because you have a June birthday. Were you the June. youngest in your class? I was, I was or you close were the to it. I was one of the youngest. Yes. Oh, so one yeah, of them. you were almost a calendar year younger mm -hmm. than half your class. Probably. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so that probably looking back, I, I realized I was way more immature than others. Um, but then in high school, it changed, and sadly, I think it's because of my mentality. I was so fed up with it by the end of middle school that I was like, "Uh, -uh I'm going into high school, and nobody's stepping on me." Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it changed once I got to high school. So were you like, were you into sports? Were you? Did I you? Mean, I was more into theater and singing, and okay. I mean, I still played. I had younger sisters, so I still played. With, I didn't play Barbies, but I would sit there and do their hair and dress them up for my sisters to play. Okay. So I was still in that. 
you know, I wasn't on the basketball court. Yeah. Seven days a week. What about friendships? Um, I had a close little group of friends and we were all very similar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which I think is good when you are specific about one little thing, like theater, yes. for example. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. In middle school, I we had a 6th, 7th, 8th middle school. And all of a sudden, you went from your little bitty North Elementary in your neighborhood, like your neighborhood little uh, elementary school, to the big conglomerate, people coming from Pickwick, mm-hmm. from Adamsville, from Sierra Gorda. And so... All of a sudden, your classes went from 18 to switching six times a day. And I remember it being like, I re- this is the silly stuff. I remember in sixth grade, somebody popping my bra for the first time and me being mortified. And my, I was wearing a guest jeans t-shirt <laughs> and I was like, they can see my bra through my, you know, sixth yes, grade. Yes. I remember in seventh grade wearing a bodysuit and like a boy telling me like, looking good, Courtney, for the first time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like all these like moments that are just like so indicative of that middle school. Yes. Going to the movies, mm-hmm. holding hands, people getting boyfriends and girlfriends that weren't more than like, do you like me? Check this. Yes. You know what I mean? Like what are they, are they going to kiss? Yes. At the movies? Yes. Mm-hmm. And like navigating all that and like what my parents were like then and I, you know, I cheered and um, it, was, it was a lot. Middle school is. is a lot. Ugh. So let me ask you this. When we were talking about Taylor May and her outburst and she's scre- like, what is she screaming at you when I mean, she it's screams? Everything. And it's like her hair, if something's wrong with her hair, anything that goes wrong in her morning or her afternoon, it's my fault. I need a reenactment though, because like, the, oh, I mean, well, I don't I'm have like, a girl. Have so. school, like, I'm going to have to clear up the room because she's flails around on the floor she like puts her head down on the table. She pops right back up, and mm-hmm. she's like flinging her hair around. And she, she'll throw she her shirt off. Like, my hair looks terrible. Oh, this is y- awful. Yes, you're the worst mom ever. Like, okay. and then she'll be like, fix my hair. And I'm like, oh, child, yeah. I know you don't want me fixing your hair. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay, give me the brush, and I'll start trying to brush it. And she's like, oh my god, it you don't know what you're doing. She takes the brush, like throws the brush down. Okay. And then she's like, God, you're the worst. And then she'll like turn to her sister, and that makes me mad too. Sure, she'll don't give me an out of them, and mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't bring her into it. Mm-hmm. And then it's just the whole thing. And even this morning, she did she did it this morning about oh, we were right on time, we were leaving the house on time, and we had plenty of time this morning. And so I started the car up, and usually I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Got the but seats we went warm. Back in. Yes, yes. So I came back in, did that, I got the seat warmers on. Um, we waited about five minutes, and then we get in the car. Well. In that five minutes, we were so late. I've ruined her whole day. She's screaming at me to get in the car, to get Stella fastened in. Like, come on, we're going to be late. She hates when we're late. We're always late. It's always my fault. It's my fault, my fault, my fault. And I mean, it took, I just said, could you please stop? Like, you are ruining my morning, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's not do this. Yeah. And that was good because usually I'll, I'll spout back at her. Like, yeah. uh-uh, don't yell at your sister. Don't you speak to me like that. Yeah. And that's where I'm like, and as soon as I yell at her, I'm like, oh, God, she got me. It's kind of how I feel, you she know. She won. Like, oh, yeah, she won. Exactly. Uh-huh. I remember having... And, and we laugh about this now, but when I was 12, I had just made the cheerleading squad. We had an Astro van like everybody mm-hmm. else. And I was like, oh, fun. My mom's going to get to be the one that carries, you know, the girls around and whatever, whatever. And my dad told me on the way to church, on the way to youth group, that my mom was expecting Lindsay, my mm-hmm. sister. Mm-hmm. And I cried a river. Because I I had been through the baby stage with Dan. I'd been, you know, which I was growing up. I didn't realize it. Reed, we were just coming out of it. He was four. And I knew what it was going to be. And it was going to be, I'm late everywhere. I can't get anywhere. And that gave me so much anxiety and so much pressure. And it was silly. I shouldn't have done that. But I didn't, it's it's just like Kim said, I didn't know how to control that when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And, um... I remember that feeling of like, I don't want to be late. But my mom was like, I've got four kids. You will get there when you get there. Yes. And yes. not a minute before. Mm-hmm. And, and that is kind of the approach that I have with mine. You know, I mean, I'm like, I'm going to get do my best, but that's what you're going to get is my best and that's it. Yes. You know? Uh-huh. I talk to Graham a lot about he's choosing to be this way, you know? But what she's saying is they're really hardwired not to cheat. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, help this they, is their default. Yes. And so, but I, th- I do think that there are things where I'm like, 
you can choose to be upset about it or you can choose to get over it. Yeah. You know, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. And that's when you just walk out of the room, I guess, and just let them have their their fit and ignore it. But what would she do if you said, I'm not fixing your hair. I'm not dealing with this. This is, I cannot deal with this. That's kind of what I do a lot of times. And what does she do? And and at last she just keeps going and then... 30 minutes later, she's fine. And she's like hugging on me. And she will even come back and say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. Yeah. You know, like she knows what she did. Yeah, Graham will do that too. I think that's the, I think that's the ignore part. Mm-hmm. I think if you get up and you load Stella in that car and give her a Pop-Tart. Yes, <laughs> like I'm coming. You get Millie and then you blow the horn at Taylor May. <laughs> yes. Get up off the floor, girl. Yeah. <laughs> get in the car. Yeah. Well, uh, it's just like she's saying, underreact to everything. Yeah. Everything, and that's hard because you also want to praise them for the good things too. Sure, like ah, you did so well on your test, yay! Right. Um, so I think that's going to be kind of hard. It's funny because we Duram tells the story a lot about he had a good friend over here to spend the night, and it was la- it was last year or something. And I'd put one of those charcoal, you know, I love a mask, uh-huh. and I'd put one of these masks on, and I crawled upstairs, and they were in the they're in the room. I'm this mom, okay, and I bust in the playroom, and I'm like, <laughs> and like my face, and they're like, uh, come on. <laughs> And then they shut the door, and I hear their friend say to Graham, you know your mom is, like, super weird, right? (laughs) And Graham goes, I know, dude. And it's hysterical. Yeah. And so, like, I always want to do things like that that they're like, you're great. Because I can't, when he's, like, all mad or something, I can be like, oh, you're tough. You think you're so tough. And I start, like, and he's like, uh, you know. But do you think you'll keep doing that, like, as he gets older? I, I mean, it's funny now, but, like, me. is he going to hold that against you? Of course you? he is. <laughs> of course like, he is. Oh, like, I, that's what nothing I'm we saying. Can do. Nothing I've got to tone down the underreact. <laughs> i got to really get a hold of that. Yes, and just, yeah. And, like, get, get because right now, I, you know, yeah. Yeah. It's a so joke. embarrassing. It's a joke. They're going to be running from you. Well, I mean, the thing is, everything's so intense at that age, right? Mm-hmm. So everything that... And, and we've got to remember to put ourselves in their shoes and really think about things being on a nine or ten that they do want to blend in. They don't want to you to draw. They don't want you showing down. up in the room with a mask on no, your face, Courtney, in front of mortifying. their friends. <laughs> Ship sailed on that, um, but yeah, I mean that's all part of it. That just to let them be them, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I can already tell just the way Taylor May gets in the car, even. Oh. In the past year, like she used to kind of open the door and like wave to her friends, like my mom's here, and like yeah, I would her friends would all wave. Everybody was waving, oh, it's a different and it was deal. like, hey girl, you know. Like, um, and now she runs to the car, she gets in, like slide, just she barely opens the door, throws her stuff in, slips on in, and shuts the door, slips down in the seat, and it was like go, yeah, go, go. <sighs> so, like looking back, do you remember your parents in middle school? How they kind acted? Of, I mean, yeah, kind of. My dad was, I mean. Very much like me. My dad is, he was like, let's have everybody over. You know, let's have everybody over here. We did wild game suppers, and he did football Saturdays and, you know, stuff like that. My brothers were always involved in, like, whatever, which annoyed me, you Mm -hmm. know, because they were my friends. And um, my mom was raising babies. I mean, she was just making snacks. (laughs) That's what she did. Which I appreciate this about my mom because she never really got involved in the drama or if I had, I mean, it was very much like handle your business. I think she knew when to pass the torch really well of like, here's when I get involved and here's when I stop. Yes. Like we didn't cart boyfriends around. We Mm -hmm. didn't um, take extra friends with us on trips. We didn't, I mean, she just, she just didn't didn't. do any of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful because like, all she would do is set a plate of cookies out, and let me tell you something. It's just like she said, you want people to talk. You put a you put warm chocolate chip cookies out. Yes, or chocolate oatmeal cookies. Mm-hmm. They'll sit around and talk. All you have to do is stand in the next room, act like you're ironing something. That's right. That you know? is right. Yes. And so she was very smart about that. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember about my mom too. I don't remember her in middle school. I can't, I can't remember how that all went down. Mm-hmm. But um, high school, she was definitely laid back. She stayed out of my business. Yeah, like she did listen. But I don't re- really remember telling her I didn't personal either. things. But some she always knew. I mean, she knew I everything. Always knew. But I don't remember ever sitting down with her and saying, "This happened today." You know, you'll never believe this. You'll never believe you. Guess yeah. what happened? You know, mm-hmm. or anything like that. I didn't tell her about my friends, what was going on. I didn't tell her about myself, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. You know. But 
But that's what I remember about her was that she stayed out of my business. And I feel like I kind of, in that way, yeah, like I just don't get involved in other people's drama. Yeah. And she was kind of like that with her friends too. Like I don't remember ever hearing her talk about like, oh, well, Betty down the street, you know, this is what's going on or yeah. anything like that. Now she would go for walks with her friend and I would try to tag along. And I'm sure now I'm like, God, go on. Like we're yeah. trying to have a come, we're trying to talk and gossip uh-huh, here, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I don't ever remember her. Do anything like that. I saw something the other day that said, you want to solve some world's problems, you put two women on a power walk. Uh-huh. That's, <laughs> that's where I get everything done. They will solve some problems. I feel like I call you a lot when I'm walking. You do. Like, oh, I can Courtney, barely I understand you. Because <laughs> you're like, I just thought of this. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> I'm like, well, call me when you get back to zero miles per hour. <laughs> do you have any like parenting things that happen that you remember your parents doing that you will do for your children? Oh gosh, that's a loaded question. Uh-huh. Um I, I just can think back on why I'm asking this is because I remember a few things from high school that I got caught doing and they stick out in my mind so vividly that this is what I'm gonna do. Kind okay. of a thing. Um one time I had and this is probably like the first time I got in trouble. I had a bunch of girls spend the night and I'm like the first time I got in trouble, <laughs> yes. Um and we all snuck out and we didn't do anything. We were like just riding around, being silly. And when I got home, the blinds in the kitchen were open. And I was like, uh-uh, we're busted. And everybody's like, no, we're not. Sneak on in. I was like, uh-uh, we're busted. And this is really before cell phones and all that too. So How old were you? Um, I was. We were driving. So, so 16. Like 16. Okay. I don't think I was driving yet, but friends were. And when I came around, we came sneaking up the driveway and <laughs> she was standing right there. Like, out of the your dark. Mom. Like, she appeared out of the darkness. Uh-huh. And she was like, everybody inside. Your moms are on the way. <gasps> everybody upstairs. I was like, whoa. We sat in my room, like, in a circle and just looked at each other. And one by one, it was like, she'd say, you know, Courtney. Your mom's your here. Your mom's here. And Courtney would leave. Andrea. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It was and the like, worst thing ever. I love you. Call me when you call me later. Call me later. Call me on the house phone. <laughs> call me on the house phone. Not after nine. I may not have it for a few weeks, yeah. so maybe we'll see you at school. Yeah. But that I remember because, and I was like, I'll never do that again. And then it remember waiting the weekend until oh. you could see him on Monday oh to see God. what's happened. What happened? I'm so sorry. I got everybody in trouble. It was awful. And then the other time, I had a party at my house, and they were out of town, and I cleaned everything up. And then the next, see, I never did that. Uh, went to school. I, I mean, I didn't. They didn't say anything. I was like, I'm good. Did it. Went to school. Came home from school, and on our island in the kitchen was one Zima bottle top. <laughs> I about died. I stressed over that Zima top, just waiting for them to like. Oh, wait, so they get didn't say trouble. anything. Never said a thing, and I never had another party. Like they didn't even have to say anything. I just knew, and that was worse than anything they could have said to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, See, that's awful. smart that your mom knew that. I mean, how did she know that, I don't that know. one Zima cap would, like, transform your... Yeah. Oof. That's crazy. Intense. Intense without even saying or doing a thing. So she was talking about how they couldn't say, I hate you at their house. I've told you about me actually telling Dan that I hated him, right? Mm-mm. So well, did you get in big trouble? Is well, that- no, no, no. It's the one thing, like, to this day, he won't. Let it go. I mean, he's like, well, you know, you did tell me you hated me. So mm-hmm. I was a senior in high school, and I had to drive him to school every day. I mean, that was part of the deal. He was in middle school. I was in high school. They were right beside each other. Reed was in elementary school. Lindsay was, she was in kindergarten when I was a freshman in college. So she was still home. So I had to, we had to get up and get out the door. I mean, we were in the Altima, headed to the high school. You should have seen me. I was like Andretti around the curves. There was a back way to the high school. You could go by the graveyard and skirt, you know, like drift into the parking lot because we were always late. Mm -hmm. And there's that anxiety about being late. Late one more time and I was in detention. Okay. I was the cheerleader. So if I got it, I had to skip games and stuff. Well, guess whose tail was late? Dance. And so I was trying to get him in the car, trying to get him to middle school. And I mean, I let him have it from the minute he shut his door all the way to middle school. So the last thing I said before we got out was, I just hate you, Dan. Why do you do this to me? Gah! Slam the door. I go to criminal justice at the high school and I had to go get a tardy slip. And I go upstairs and criminal justice is in 
the vocational building, which is behind the high school. So you don't actually have to go into the high school. You can park in the vocational parking lot and go up the stairs. And I was in criminal justice. All I could think about was, what if there's a bomber? (laughs) And my last words to Dan, my brother, who I cherish, who puts on cologne every time my friends come over and plays basketball in the driveway. Like, my friends die for him. We have this great relationship. The last words I've uttered to him were, I hate you. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I've got to get to the middle school. And it's kind of like, you know, a building apart um, through a back road. So I'm like, Mr. Wimburn, who's passed away now, rest in peace. Mr. Wimburn, I need something out of my car. But see, we had a roving policeman too. So somehow I had to get to my car and like shotgun through the back entrance of the school without... um, without Mr. Cherry seeing me, Victor (laughs) Cherry seeing me, get to the middle school, get him out of class. So I did it. I go to my car. I like slam it on. I fly through the back gate. I go to the middle school. I run, of course, then you didn't have to check in or sign anybody in or anything. I run down the hall. I get him in what I think is his class. And I'm like... Uh, Coach King, can I see Dan real quick? And he's like, yeah. And so Dan comes to the door and he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I just had to say I'm sorry. I don't hate you. I am in detention, but I, I, I don't hate you. And I'm sorry I said that. And I love you. And I got to go back. And he was like, time out. Did you sneak out of your senior year, whatever, to come and tell me that? And I was like, yes, I'm sorry. I've got to go. <laughs> and so he was like, it's really fine. It's okay. You know, it's way yes, more. Yes, and I was it's like, you. I know, but if you die today, I just need to tell you that. You have and not so, changed much. <laughs> I, I know. So I go back to the school and, you know, whatever. They were like, you were gone a long time. We know that you were in your car or whatever. But he still brings it up to this day. But it was such like a heart thing for me. Like I could not. It's the first and only time I've ever said it to somebody and really felt like I could have mean it. Mm-hmm. You know, except besides like an ex-boyfriend or something. Yeah, yeah. Because I hate all them, right? Um, but yeah, well, uh, that had to make your parents proud. I don't even know that they know that story. They oh, probably do now. Uh-huh. I mean, but who knows? We don't have a rule book on this stuff. We're just trying to do the best we can with the knowledge that we have. And I'm so thankful for people like Kim Swales who can come alongside us and help us navigate all yes. this mess. And I think we need to talk as well to people in our communities that have children that are older. Like I have a friend that I can think of. And her children, she's got three. One's still in high school. Two are in college, about to graduate. And every time she says something... You're like, truth. Bible. I'm yeah. like, okay, I got it. Yeah. And I will do this. And it's always worked. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think that's yeah. so helpful for everybody. You can call us. Agreed. You've got younger kids. We'll be there for you. I can tell you all about two and three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Thanks right. for listening today. We hope this episode helps you to navigate this difficult journey called parenting that we are all on together. And just as our mission is to encourage, celebrate, and inspire, Rise with Renaissance also believes in supporting women in the communities that they serve. Rise with Renaissance promotes leadership and careers in banking and business to young women. Rise is powered for women by women. To learn more, visit risewithrenaissance.com.